welcome to What is X? I'm your regular host, Justin E.H. Smith. As listeners will know, on every episode, we ask a question of the form, what is X, uh, for any number of given concepts, Xs that are difficult to, to define, that are conceptually puzzling, intriguing, what have you. This is somewhat in the manner of the Socratic dialogues written by Plato thousands of years ago. Like Socrates, we can end up either in agreement or disagreement or aporia, uh, depending on the nature of the concept in question and on our uh, stubborn opinions of the concept. So today uh, we're doing something somewhat special. Um, we're talking about something that is uh, probably not equipped with its own platonic form, right? Um, uh, so to speak, uh, something that uh, is a particular inflection of a particular culture um, that has since gone global, but that is, I think, very important for understanding the more general category it is in. And I'll explain in a moment. We're going to be looking at the question, what is punk? As in, what is punk music? I suspect that asking this question will also indirectly give us some insight into the question, what is music? Um, but maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. In any case, my guest today is someone I've known for a long time, someone who is no stranger to The Point magazine. Joseph M. Keegan is a writer and an editor uh, for The Point magazine, and I've also seen your writing and appreciated it in a number of other venues over the years. And you are also now a uh, philosophy graduate student at Tulane University in New Orleans. So welcome, Joseph. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Justin. I'm really excited to uh, to chat about this. Subject. So this is this is going to be weird, uh, as, as I said, because yeah. it's, um, it's uh, a little bit, um, let's say, uh, uh, narrower in its focus than what I'm used to. At the same time, I wanted to do this with you in part because it's something that, however narrow, however unworthy of its own platonic form, um, it's something that is nonetheless uh, really important uh, to both of us in terms of our uh, life path, our identity formation, and so on. I think for you more than for me, I think you were a hardcore scene member uh, at some point in your life, whereas I was always flitting between scenes and never, uh, never, uh, fully confident that I was accepted by any of them. So what is it like being uh being on the scene? It's a really good Having question. Having been on, being a veteran of the scene. What does that involve? Yeah. Yeah, well it's it's funny uh you know, I live in I, I just moved back to, moved down to New Orleans, right? This mm -hmm. was the city I spent I spent a lot of time in my in my early 20s. 
when mm-hmm. I was very much a punk of some kind, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, hitchhiked and rode freight trains and went to show, went to punk shows. And, uh, you know, I, I remember writing a very like slapdash, uh, half operable bicycle to a generator show down here back in the day. <laughs> and now I'm here as a, as a graduate student in philosophy. So I've been thinking a lot about this question about, uh, you know, what, what punk is, what it meant to me when I was younger, why I found it so important. Um, and in many ways, why I feel so estranged from it now, but mm. also why I find myself continually inspired by, by certain features of whatever this thing called punk is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, when I was, a, when I was younger, you know, I was like this working class kid in West Virginia in high school uh, in Florida before that. I mean, it was, uh, it was kind of a promise of a way of, of living, um, a promise of a way of being together with other people mm. that was, uh, that militated against the kind of proletarian boredom that I, mm. I felt so much at the time, which seems to be kind of where it emerged from, right? In, mm. in, in England in the 1970s, in America, mm-hmm. in, in around the same amount of time, it was a bunch of sort of young people who felt the 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 suffocating dullness of the age and they revolted against it and so i think that that it still has a kind of promise in mm-hmm. that regard for mm-hmm. young people to, as this kind of source of energy but i mean it's it's funny right uh to ask the question what is punk i think only is only in part to ask the question of what is punk music because mm-hmm. it's so much bigger yeah. than that at the same yeah. time and yeah. I, I want to I want to sort of start the conversation with a with a quote from um, uh, this this wonderful book by Sam McFeeters, who's a singer mm. of the band Born Against. Mm-hmm. And he oh, right. d- describes the difficulty of trying to trying to define this term in a really beautiful way. Mm. Uh, he says, depending on who and where you are, punk, quote unquote, can be a lifestyle, cosplay, design element, powerful mm-hmm. ideal, lazy cliche magical realism, badge of authenticity, pantomime social movement, withering mockery, ironclad conviction, lucrative career, (laughs) vow of slovenly poverty, incubator of brilliance and or mediocrity, rite of passage, riot of violence, ferocious hokiness, suicide hotline, sales category, community glue, license to wallow, mass catharsis, a refuge for smart people and or playground for dumb people, Boisterous escapism, marketable nostalgia, belligerent incompetence, self-satire, intentional or otherwise, assault on falseness, or adult-sized psychic diapers that can be worn until death. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's, I, he's, a, he's an inspired writer. Yeah. Oh, it's, this is it's truly is a very good book. But I, I feel like he captures in that sort of, you know cloud of 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 terms right um mm. you know if so- when socrates asks me you know what is virtue he gets a swarm of virtues here we get a swarm of punks like that it actually is this extremely protean and difficult thing mm. to nail down people ever since the 1970s have been trying desperately to figure out what the core of this mm. of this uh, ostensibly meaningless word is what does the word mm. punk even point to and it's so many things uh, that's th- that it's so difficult to get to the center of. And yet it is a thing that has been so important for the last 50 years mm. of American culture, Western culture generally, mm. and nobody quite knows what it is. So it's, it's, 
we're 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 following down a, an important path. I think yeah, one that seems yeah. that seems less important, but now a few things come to mind right away when you're talking about your own experience. You mentioned, among other things, some things that were very contemporary. For example, uh, uh, you know, the particular show you went to see uh, could only have been in a certain a certain era in New Orleans, but hopping freight trains um, and uh, uh, riding the freight trains around America is something that has a much longer life than punk music and that is part of a distinctly American experience that one could not have in England, at least not in the same way, (laughs) right? And this makes me think, and I'm having difficulty formulating this idea, that um, that the even if it's a global phenomenon and you have punk scenes on every island of Indonesia, uh, a, a, as well as England and America, um, there's still a very distinct local or national history that gives shape mm-hmm. to it, that makes it what it is, and that makes already American punks something very different from English punks because they're they're mm-hmm. kind of building on their own uh, history of you know broadly speaking um, American identity and to use the musical term Americana right and this is something I I often think about with American musical subcultures and maybe it's a a good a good time to you know, uh, try to get you to give me, give us some feedback here. I mean, I noticed when you pick up your coffee mug, it says Nashville on it. Right. (laughs) Um, and, um, yeah, so you, you've got Nashville in you, you've got new Orleans in you, um, you've got freight trains in you. Um, it sounds to me like your, um, your, your, your musical identity and your identity in general is something that was shaped by distinctly American forces, right? So you, you might have passed through your punk phase, but it was something different from what someone elsewhere in the world might have experienced. Does that sound right? Yeah, I, I, I think it does sound right. Um, I mean, one thing I want to note about the the sort of distinctness of American punk from the English version is, and I think that that distinction is really important, right? That um, punk happens in England as right. It's it's a reaction. You know, the the the, the Sex Pistols are going on um, t- daytime television talk shows and talking about the talking about how much they hate the Queen. You know, there's all this stuff about it's it's a reaction to it's something like the Silver Jubilee of yeah. Elizabeth. I mm-hmm. think that mm-hmm. there that it, it it emerges out of this specific kind of political. Uh, cultural context of a kind of distaste for the monarchy and a date and a distaste for the um, I don't know the, the sort of gaudiness and the silliness and the stuffiness of of, of British monarchy mm-hmm. um, and it mostly as as far as I've been able to tell remains a kind of you know music music focused subculture that you know it, it produces a whole bunch of bands those bands go on television they you know uh, Sex Pistols make a huge amount of money. Um, mm-hmm. They're very, you know, relevant 
um, pop cultural phenomenon. In America, things function differently, in part, I think, because as you point out, the kinds of things that are the trappings of punk as it sort of uh, develops over from the 70s into the early 2000s are things that have always been a part of Americana. Right. right? Yeah. Hopping in a van and touring, uh, mm-hmm. which becomes this kind of principal feature of the the punk form of life throughout mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that has a, a, a long history in, in American folk forms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, uh, it, it's reminiscent of the Oregon Trail to some extent, of the, of the mm-hmm. Frontiersmen. It's reminiscent of the earlier Chitlin circuit that the sort of mm-hmm. soul and blues singers would tour ar- around America in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so punk in America, I think, has a curious position of uh, blending into itself all of these sort of previously American yeah, cultural right. phenomena, um, you know, it, and in a way that it doesn't quite have in England, right? In, in, in I think that in England, punk is a kind of reaction against Englishness. Mm-hmm. In America, I think it thinks of itself as a reaction against the sort of, you know, Reagan, sort of yeah. moral majority Reaganism, um, this kind of stuffy post-war culture, but in doing so, it ends up being like one of the most American things yeah, right, uh, right, accidentally right. or otherwise. And yeah. And then it picks up sort of, you know, after a while, you know, the sort of crust punks start riding freight trains and doing mm-hmm. all this kind of hobo stuff. And um, yeah. So, so I, it seems to me that there, that I would even say that there are two kind of at the English variety and the American variety are two sort of genealogies of punk mm-hmm. Um that evolve alongside one another, uh, but have very different relationships to mm-hmm. the to the larger culture that they exist within. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always I always think about right. So um, uh, uh, Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know he's 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 tracing the decline of civic participation in America over the course of the '60s through the '90s. Um, watching as you know as as small towns start to kind of disintegrate, as people stop um maintaining civic associations with each other so on and so forth mm-hmm. well the funny thing that he seemed uh unable to, to to notice is that at the exact time that he's charting this rapid decline in these kinds of things there's a rapid increase in like punk rock youth culture all mm-hmm. across america mm-hmm. and that small post-industrial cities in particular become these locuses of these strange uh, um, these strange worlds of young people who are mm-hmm. starting bands and playing in venues. And in, in many of these places, they start to, you know, build record labels and it starts to be more of a, more of a, of a, of a feature of a political economy of a place mm-hmm. than just, you know, two bands who happen mm-hmm. to exist there mm-hmm. uh, playing in a house or something, right. Washington, DC yeah um, becomes you know it's it's like 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 punk rock and and, and, and hardcore in particular which is it's mm-hmm. its own separate thing that we can sort of address later mm-hmm. becomes like um a, a, you know a, a not a non-negligible feature of the life of the city yeah so yeah. again yeah. right the, the american punk rock um ends up sort of be like becoming america Mm-hmm. In, a, in, in a real in a somewhat important way it's 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 hard i think to think about american culture especially throughout the 80s and 90s without thinking about how you know punk whatever this thing is feeds back into the american project reshapes it reinvigorates it in many ways and then now you know we just kind of live in in america 
in which punk is part of the DNA, mm -hmm. which is very strange. I'm not sure that the same exists in England, for mm -hmm. instance, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned the 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 jubilee i was thinking of derek jarman's movie jubilee i don't know if you've seen it with um you know numerous late 70s um uh english punk uh uh notorieties making appearances in this kind of dystopian uh uk uh art art film it's it's quite good uh but i keep thinking about this difference between the kind of local cultural inflections of um of of a global musical subculture and i think about this too when i'm you know googling japanese rappers on youtube late at night and thinking that's so strange how can there be a japanese rapper i mean because it's coming out of such a different uh cultural experience it means something different than mm -hmm. in the context where it was first articulated and sometimes there's an easy translation of the meaning i'm particularly interested in um the moment django reinhardt first heard louis armstrong records and mm -hmm. kind of created european jazz like you know on the spot in a in a way that you can completely naturally understand you can see mm -hmm. how this works given who django reinhardt was um in the case of punk i think it's a lot more complicated for a number of reasons because it taps it can it, because the dna is so uh uh, 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 it comes from so many different sources. Um, but also, again, I think because uh, the initial place or context in which it emerges, the, the context of the UK in the 1970s, um, then is just so different from the contexts that produced, say, the early 70s Detroit music scene, like MC5 and Death mm -hmm. and groups like that, or the, the, the context that produced the Ramones. And I can remember mm -hmm. in the 1980s, literally not understanding why certain kids or groups of kids would both wear Ramones t-shirts and t-shirts of say gbh um uh you know it's yeah. like it didn't yeah. seem to me like the same thing for one thing the ramones seemed funny right they seemed like it was just um it was in some sense all a big joke um mm -hmm. and when they went on donahue and you know took took heat for their lyrics i mean it just just looked like a joke so this then gets to one of the big basic divisions which is um let's say uh the um the the kind of ultra seriousness of certain certain bands and these are the ones mm -hmm. that always appealed to me considerably less you know that um that had a message that maybe even had a lifestyle that went along with the message like mm -hmm. straight edge or something like that on the one hand, uh, you know, this kind of this kind of dedicated, um, uh, uh, sincere on the level commitment to an ideal on the one hand. And then on the other hand, people who were obviously just 
screwing around, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Taking the piss. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, uh, that seems to me really important and like a, a, a tension in American punk in particular. Are these serious people with serious commitments or are these people uh, who are just 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 joking around to some extent? Um, what, what, what do you make of this? Does this seem like a like like an important division? Maybe also this this is the, the division between punk and hardcore as well is something that um, that is captured in this. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely onto something. So I want to wager as a first stab at a definition, something like punk is the negative moment in modernity asserting itself through young people mm -hmm. or something that it's this, it's this really basic kind of feature of modern societies of of, of pure negativity of just of, of absolute refusal of just mm -hmm. saying of looking out on the world and saying, no, not this. Mm -hmm. um and that's like the the inaugural moment of punk mm -hmm. and then the question is how do different uh how do different sort of waves and, and 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 different generations and different even just like specific groups of people react to the feeling of that negative moment so i think for instance yeah the kind of ramones sex pistols um uh, Richard Hell sort of, you know, mm -hmm. first wave of this kind of thing. It was this very kind of laughing Dada-esque, mm -hmm. you know, everything is sort of a joke. Uh, uh, it had that kind of quality to it. Um, it was, it was sort of experiencing this negative moment as something sort of joyous and, and, mm -hmm. and as, as, as an opening in this otherwise very suffocating, um, you know, post-war world, mm -hmm. whether that's in England or America. And, the, the sort of self-seriousness with which the later generations start to regard themselves, right? When hardcore sort of comes into existence. I mean, hardcore explicitly uh, is a reaction against punk. I think, you know, uh, Ian, Ian Mackay and all of these guys in DC, you know, Black Flag in, in LA, I mean, they're looking, they're looking at punk records and kind of sneering at them. Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. they 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 take from it this this inspiration to be loud and be boisterous and so on and so forth but especially they look at the way that the that the, that the first wave of punks dressed mm -hmm. and they say that's ridiculous mm -hmm. um the first wave of punk was very carnivalesque right they're mm -hmm. dressed all silly they you know the the ramones have a have this black jacket long black mm -hmm. hair kind of style it, it's it's a it's an almost a uniform um the Sex Pistols, you know, they they spend all of this time making their hair stand up, and they have this way of designing themselves. I mean, by the ten years later, in the nineteen eighties, uh, all of that gets stripped away, and 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 what it means to be punk is to is to be is to reject that kind of carnival esque, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of. Uh, fashion show right that, that even becomes a word right looking out at the punk thing and saying oh this is like a fashion show mm -hmm. and then and being spartan and being uh, minimal yeah. in the way that you style yourself so so hardcore i think right that's becomes sort of the the, the first kind of post-punk move mm -hmm. is is look is, is is feeling and looking at that kind of initial wave of, of punk feeling that sort of negative moment and, mm -hmm. and, and rather than saying Oh, we need to like laughingly, you know, um, uh, in, in an almost sort of like Joker-like manner, uh, mm -hmm. sort of scoff at society. 
Mm-hmm. The move is to is to become very morally serious, right? Mm-hmm. In, in in knowledge of the the kind of void that opens up in the mm-hmm. age, to reassert a kind of seriousness of living. Yeah. Um, well, like I, th- th- that 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 becomes the, the the move for for the DC crowd, right? That's where Straight Edge comes out of. That's less the case for Black Flag, who are cutting themselves mm-hmm. in the face with glass as they're touring, mm-hmm. but they do still have this this kind of workmanlike. Um, attitude towards what they're doing of constantly touring, of caring very, very much about, mm-hmm. you know, Greg Ginn is this extremely precise guitar player mm-hmm. and he cares, he cares hugely for the sound of the music and for, and, 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 and how their compositions are, are, are being made that feels very different than the Ramones. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, the yeah, Ramo- yeah. There's there's not a lot of humor and well I guess there's TD Party right that's like one funny Black Flag song mm-hmm. that everybody everybody sort of looks at and they're like where does this come from mm-hmm. um, but reg- other than that I mean the you know Black Flag is this extremely serious like more uh, uh, emotionally yeah. serious kind of kind yeah. of band right yeah um, all the songs are about depression and feeling very bad and feeling grotesque and wanting to kill yourself and. And even the, the the sort of the, the Raymond Pettibon art has this like very, you know, almost like high modern sort of seriousness to it that mm. feels very different to me than the than the sort of you know uh, cut and paste collage of the sort of earlier earlier punk thing. So mm-hmm. I, I guess that's just to say, right, that I think that ten years later in the 1980s, right after after punk has sort of been birthed into the world, that next slightly younger generation. Um, why they become so self-serious is that they feel that initial impulse differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then after, right after hardcore, you get the kind of, yeah, you get the crust punks, like the sort of GBH mm-hmm. amoebics, um, you know, discharge all of these, uh, the, probably the most intensive, which is dystopia or right? all these mm-hmm. bands really lean into the subjection and lean into that, that feeling of nothingness that inspires the, the, the humor of the first wave of punk. Mm-hmm. And they, and they say, no, you guys are too funny. <laughs> we need to be way more grotesque and way more abject. Right. Um, and right. And then it just spins out from there. So we're, I don't know what wave we're in now, but right. um, hard to say what the, what the emotive quality of, of, of punk in 2022 is, but I, yeah, I, I, th- I think maybe you're right that the place to go wouldn't be to look at, uh, what's happening in America, but to see what kinds of things Indonesians and, and sort of yeah. Turkish punks and yeah. you know punks in Siberia are doing, and that would be how to get a how to get a read on that. Yeah, I mean, there's so much um, su- sub sublation of opposites going on here, uh, just in the charting the path from um, from punk to hardcore, and I think about um, so many. Uh, remarkable moments of transition in musical subcultures over the decades. I forget where I read this, but something about an event circa 1977, a double bill that included uh, in presence both uh, Patti Smith and Johnny Rotten. You might know about this. And Johnny Rotten um, uh, basically if I recall correctly, you know, harasses Patti Smith off the stage, calling her a dirty hippie and and a folkster and so on. And um, uh, to my mind, Patti Smith now um, 
uh, embodies uh, something of the uh, the 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 punk DNA that we've been trying to trying to isolate and analyze here. And so, should we say that Johnny Rotten was simply wrong, uh, or that you know there's a very slow process by which this DNA reveals itself, or that you know this is just a just a grab bag with with no uh, no kind of fundamentally cohesive elements and that, that that includes such wildly different characters as Johnny Rotten and Patty Smith, one of whom today is uh is a looks to me like a like an aging uh uh schlub uh with uh politically problematic views that is Johnny Rotten and the the other of whom Patty Smith is this kind of graceful um kind of grand dame of uh of poetry and kind of i would say uh bohemianism in a sense that extends back to 19th century France trying to keep figures like Baudelaire and so on alive so there's wild difference I mean maybe one question is to ask who's more of a punk now John Lydon or Patti Smith um, and that, that you could extend that back to their initial encounter in the 1970s as well yeah I mean my I, my impulse would be to say that Johnny Rotten remains more of a punk because <laughs> that sneering attitude towards Patty Smith is mm. actually the the punk gesture right which yeah. isn't to say that i mean it's it, it isn't to say that punk is better than mm. whatever patty smith was up to but uh i you know and and in fact i think that 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 encounter and then also the way that both of the right yeah both their initial encounter and then how they've both aged over the years shows the limitations of punk Mm-hmm. And I think also shows the the kind of thing that, yeah, like the the hardcore kids, the crust punks were all reacting to in that initial uh, sort of impulse uh, of of punk when they were trying to create something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, for instance, Ian Mackay would have that same kind of sneering attitude towards Patti Smith. And, and you know, Ian has, you know, he's matured quite fascinatingly mm-hmm. uh, compared to Johnny Rotten, right? Johnny Rotten goes on television shows constantly and, you know, sort of um, shows his silliness and, and, and frivolity. Ian Mackay remains this extremely, you know, sort of private uh, and, and hardworking guy. I mean, he he's, he's basically like a, uh, a businessman in the best of senses, mm-hmm. right? He runs mm-hmm. Discord Records. They make a lot of money. They continue to release very good punk rock and hardcore albums. They haven't really, you know, compromised their mission uh, at any point along the way. Um, And I think that is in large part because Ian was able to kind of recognize that in that, that in that early punk DNA was something to be rejected. Mm -hmm. Um, And that something to be rejected looks something like, Oh yeah, Patty Smith, you're a a frivolous hippie, so on and so forth. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it, and it's also worth pointing out that yeah you know punk was in large part a reaction against the hippies right that right, the yeah. punks weren't they weren't the first youth movement to to react against the boringness of the world but they they were the they were possibly the first to react against the first reaction yeah but the hippies the hippies came around and they said okay you know this post war culture is very boring um, 
you know, everything feels really suffocating and gray. We're going to live into pleasure yeah. and we're going to, you know, do free love and we're going to, you know, um, all be together and it's all going to be really happy. Mm. Um, the punk move was to say that, no, uh, actually that sort of yearning for yearning for completeness and yearning for wholeness and, and, and that kind of hedonism, uh, is a, is a lie. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, life, especially life in modernity is going to involve a lot of misery. Um, it's going to involve depression. It's going to involve failure. Um, and punk really brought that to the surface in a way that the hippies were trying to cover over. Mm -hmm. Um, the punks mm -hmm. were never able to really move past that. So you have mm -hmm. a guy like Johnny Rotten, who's now, well, he's probably in his 70s, 60s or 70s now. Getting up there, yeah. And he's like, yeah, the, the same kind of guy that he was uh, back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, pu punks don't age particularly well. I mean, Johnny Rotten is not the only one who mm -hmm. has made himself very silly. If you look at uh, the, the kinds of punk bands that got popular in the 90s, especially the sort of, you know... Um, epitaph records mm -hmm. uh sort of pop punk stuff i mean none, none of those none of those people have <laughs> have have showered themselves in glory ever since yeah. I mean, there's a lot of frivolity and silliness with that with that generation too i i often think about this as a you know as a way of um kind of understanding the essence of a given musical genre and the culture uh uh that that uh that gives life to it how do its members age? <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. and it's it's uh, I think we have this ideal of the elderly jazz man or blues man, right? But that this this ideal, as far as I can tell, is a contingent uh, consequence of the rediscovery in the nineteen sixties of. Um, musicians from the 10s and 20s and 30s and hauling them out of retirement in their old age that gave us this ideal that the young rock and rollers in the 1960s then uh revered right so it was revering the elders right when yeah. um when brian jones goes and gawks at Howlin' Wolf, uh, or something mm -hmm. like that. At the same time, for the most part, rock and rollers have not aged well, right? They look like old schlubs who are trying to pretend that they don't need the money from their reunion tours, and it just looks pathetic most of the time. There are some exceptions, I think, that are mostly just you know the the good fortune of of um good genes right like Mick Jagger doesn't look ridiculous I don't think um he looks like he's living out something that takes a whole life to to perfect um on the other hand indeed I think that punk is so deeply connected with youth that it's very, very hard to age as a punk. And that's a significant fact about it. Now, some, I suppose, you know, you can think of someone like Henry Rollins, who becomes a kind of a kind of um, intellectual within the scene whose job is to speak and to write, to articulate in like grown-up words 
um, what the meaning of this is. And you can also mention Richard Hell, uh, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, I've read his essays. He's a very interesting writer. I used to read him in, uh, in the village voice. I remember he wrote, he was writing about film and he wrote something about Robert Bresson, the, the French director from the fifties and sixties. And, and, uh, Richard Hell writes that Robert Bresson is a punk director. And I'm like, okay, uh, I was, I was, I was with you, Richard Hell, but you know, this seems like maybe a bit of a, a bit of a stretch. So I, I bring all mm-hmm. this up because it's kind of like, um, you know, most fall by the wayside. Uh, or fall into pure nostalgia, a few kind of go on to embody or to uh, model how to age as a punk. And for at least some, like um, Richard Hell, this becomes a kind of, you know, uh, mode of um, uh, aesthetic and critical writing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. that's pretty rare. And would you agree with me that most of the time this uh, this is something that, um, let's say, gets uh, gets um, uh, incorporated into the course of a full life only with great difficulty? Yeah, no, I, I would absolutely agree uh, for every Henry Rollins or Richard Hell or any of these sort of elder punk statesmen, you have probably a dozen or so who not only um, fall into obscurity, but oftentimes fall into like extreme mental illness, right? I think mm-hmm. that's actually one of one of the, the major trajectories out of this thing is the youthful rebellious moment um, turning into a kind of uh, just, you know, sort of middle-aged dest- destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam Feeders wrote this really great essay for Vice Magazine in like mm-hmm. 2008 about doc dart who was the lead singer of the band crucifix and uh you know they had this this sort of moment of popularity they were from lansing michigan of all places and um through their association with the dead kennedys they managed to you know play a couple of high profile shows and their record you know became this kind of standard of sort of early early sort of hardcore music um from the middle of the country um and he goes and he finds Doc Dart now who, you know, he's renamed himself 26 and he's gotten really into this kind of absurd mysticism mm-hmm. that doesn't actually have, uh, seem to have much of a uh, grounding to it. It's just kind of, he, he's sort of making up his, his own kind of mystical uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's an extremely sad man. And, and, you know, he, mm-hmm. he, he lives a very solitary life in his house he he waged a war against his own city by putting up these ridiculous signs in his windows um starting with 9 11 uh mm-hmm. which was a very again a very punk gesture of of mm-hmm. you know these signs which would read things like you know uh, I, I mean, paraphrasing here but things like basically america deserved it mm-hmm. you know uh uh like you know soldiers are cowards so on and so forth deliberately provoking the city uh, of Lansing and provoking his neighbors. Mm-hmm. And whereas that might've been something that you find fun in your youth and that gives mm-hmm. you a kind of joy and that might even connect you with other young people who feel a similar way. I think when you're in your forties or fifties, um, it really just looks like a kind of insanity. Yeah. Um, he winds up being arrested by the police um, some years, some years after that. And, uh, 
they say that he's a he's a threat uh, to, to his to his neighbors or a, a danger a danger to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he gets heavily medicated for bipolar disorder or something. But it's mm. it's a pretty it's a pretty inglorious yeah um, portrait of somebody a, a, a very a very caring but inglorious portrait of somebody. And I think that it it shows that uh, yeah the you know punk ages very poorly for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, keep keeping up with, uh, with, with being a punk, right. The, the other option is always like to become a poser, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to, to actually sort of lean into it. I I'm thinking of the, the end of, of the, of the movie SLC punk, which was mm-hmm. oh, right, you know, yeah. sort of big moment in, in sort of, you know, American culture in the nineties. Um, the very end of it is that he goes to law school, um, mm-hmm. after his friend heroin Bob dies, you know, uh, the, right. the, who, who had been reportedly straight edge, right, um, right, he, right. he slips up. Uh, yeah. The end of it is, is, is him reflecting on the kind of passion and peril of his youth and saying, you know what, the most punk thing that I can do is mm-hmm. become a lawyer and, mm-hmm. and work on the system from within. I, I think that that, that was a very common exit route mm-hmm. for the people who could make it just as, you know, becoming a kind of writer, thinker, novelist mm-hmm. type like Henry Rollins um, was another exit route for the people who could do it. But for the people who couldn't do it, a lot of them just got stuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and yeah, and, and and they just became extremely mentally ill mm-hmm. without much mm-hmm. of a support system around to, to help them through it. So mm-hmm. um, that seems so, sort of, yeah, worth worth considering as, as one of the consequences yeah. of, of punk rock. So you seem to um, be somewhat um, uh, uh, in recovery uh, uh, <laughs> from your your own experience, right? You are trying to work out what is what is good and um, and uh, salvific in uh, this scene. Uh, and at the same time, the various ways in which it harms people. And it was interesting when you were describing your own experience early on, briefly, the riding the freight trains and things like that. You also mentioned something about growing up in a context um, that uh, that that was lacking certain important features of community and so on. And mm-hmm. then you went out to find community uh, in, um, in, uh, in this, this musical subculture that in some instances, I think makes some pretty extreme utopian promises to its members. Right. Mm-hmm. But would you say you were disappointed by that, that it was a, a false promise that, um, that uh that 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 can, that never really came through i'm not sure how to answer that um because i will say that it did live up to its promise in as much as i spent many of the crucial years of my late teens and early 20s in these these flourishing and um vibrant communities of people that I never would have met otherwise doing things I never could have dreamed of doing, um, without being in the, the, the world of punk. Um, and a lot of that stuff remains an inspiration to me today. Mm-hmm. 
the the difficulty though is is right it, just as you said in sorting the good from the bad right it is it is just as punk to to be straight edge as it is to be addicted to heroin mm-hmm. um and it's really difficult to figure out how to do that sorting if what you're concerned with is punk as punk right i mm-hmm. i think that the 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 move for me and and sort of the, the the project that I that I've sort of been working on for the last couple of years, however, uh, in Kuwait the the thoughts are about it, and however kind of you know obliquely I've been approaching it hmm. is trying to figure out you know what what in punk uh, has deeper roots, right? As we were talking about with with the sort of the curious Americanism of a lot of punk rock. Yeah. Um, and how do you get from, from a sort of youthful connection to this world into those things that are far deeper and better and more nourishing mm-hmm. and away from the things that are, that are um, uh, life imperiling and draining. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me, it took like a, you know, a, a couple of like, you know, the, the deaths of a couple of friends to realize that, the thing that I had been moving in seemed to be just as much an, an incubator for self-destruction as it yeah. was an incubator for, yeah, community and friendship and, you know, a, a, a kind of self-seriousness, yeah. um, a kind of moral seriousness. And so um, my, my process has been trying to, tr- has been trying to trace trace those trace those roots and Mm. figure out how to make those connections more explicitly for myself yeah such that you know i think you know i this is something i i wouldn't say for instance that um that uh you know some people want to say something like you know oh um uh this thing that I really like is actually punk, right? Yeah. Like, like Rasson is punk or mm-hmm. um, Socrates is punk. Yeah. I don't think that that, I don't think that that's true, but I do All think right, that right. there is, there is the kernel of the Socratic or the kernel of the philosophical that can be experienced and glimpsed in mm. what punk is in America. Yeah. And if you can do that, that, that careful, but difficult work of sorting, then you can work your way back to, something like oh what i liked in punk was mm-hmm. this kernel of the philosophical what i liked in punk was this kernel of the artistic mm-hmm. um this kernel of 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 sort of ethical seriousness mm-hmm. um that lived there and didn't seem to live in what i had experienced before mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um and i think i you know it, it, it's i have lots of lots of friends who will who will sort of invoke as a mantra this phrase punk rock saved my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think they really mean it because the re- you know, at least for me growing up in the sort of early late nineties and early two thousands um, in a place, you know, I was in, it was really rural central Florida. And then after that, I was in uh, Huntington, West Virginia, a city of about, you know, 50 or 60,000 people. Mm. Uh, this, this very sort of bleak post-industrial city, at least when I lived there, there was nothing to do as mm-hmm. a young person in, in, in any of these places. Mm-hmm. Um, there were no places to congregate. Um, there were no activities. It was, it was a very dull and very sort of, a, you know, a, a, a oppressive and, and, um, 
and a hopeless kind of place, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, this is a funny thing. Like in, in, in one of the, you know, in God Save the Queen, mm-hmm. the very origins of, of, of punk rock, uh, even just as a style of music, the line is repeated over and over again. No future, no future, no future. Yeah, right. And that, I think, remains a thing that 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 motivates uh the 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 sort of per- perpetuation of punk rock is like young people feeling like they don't have a future mm. and then wanting to get together and make it with one another i think that's a that remains a very beautiful uh a beautiful thing that that mm-hmm. that remains a, a sort of a, a, a possibility i think that a, a, you know young people growing up today uh, are faced with a very similar kind of kind of problem of this, this sense of futurelessness. Mm. Um, I think the problem becomes when all of the, all of, they put all their chips on like punk, punk as punk as the future, right? This sort mm-hmm. of, this sort of um, sneering, um, often joyous, often frivolous um, sort of form of, of a, a sort of life lived with music mm-hmm. and they can't trace uh, they can't trace the, the, the things that they like in punk back to these more, more solid ground and, mm-hmm. and sort of philosophy or an art or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Have you seen uh, this? It's been circulating on the internet for a few years now. It's from like 1986 uh, and it's a sketch of um uh, about six or seven different musical subcultures active in East Germany. Um, and the sketch was made by the Stasi. Have you seen this? It's hilarious. This, no. It is absolutely hilarious because it's like the East German secret police trying to uh, specify the exact differences between, uh, let's see, there are punks, there are what the Germans call Grufties, the goth the goths you know the mm-hmm. literally the 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 tombies the people mm-hmm. who hang out at the tombs there is something they call the new romantics uh there's um uh uh teddy boys this is really interesting we still have teddy okay. boys in east berlin in 1986 and there are punks and i think um metalheads or something like this mm-hmm. and it's fascinating as a taxonomy it basically um you know uh uh wants to say that these are all incipient fascist movements <laughs> um uh-huh. in some way or other i think the case that they make for uh, you know in regard to um to goths and new romantics is somewhat more compelling that this is proto-fascism because, you know, this is like the standard trajectory of romanticism and Mm -hmm. preoccupation with death that then, you know, leads to the kind of fascist cult of personality and stuff like this. Um, But in the case of punks, they're like, well, you know, basically the word they use is nihilism, right? These are nihilists. Mm -hmm. They have, they, they, they don't value anything. There's an anarchist, there, there's generally an anarchist tendency to this. Um, but what's funny to me, and I'll have to send this to you afterwards, what's funny me to too. me about this um, 
this little sketch is that, you know, they kind of have to admit that these are not exactly natural kind terms, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Groofties versus the Teddy Boys, right? This is just, yeah. you know, this is just human culture doing its thing. Of And where we draw the lines is, you know, differs from, from you know, from one context to another. Um but I guess, you know, what's funny to me is imagine you are an East German uh, Stasi agent and it's your job to to monitor youth subcultures of um, what I mean. How would you get the punks right? Right. Is uh, and, you know, maybe this this is something we can also get back to your own experience of was it fundamentally political i think that's you know they would would there would there be reason for the secret police to monitor your political commitments or would that just be a waste of time um and i think this is uh this is a difficult question to ask for any genre of music for Mm -hmm. you know for for the, the for psychedelic rock and roll of the late 1960s for for hip-hop and so on it's it's hard to pin down the political with punk i think it's particularly hard because um because it can be so many different things we have this one kind of facile facile idea that it's that it's political orientation is anarchist but then we also know that that can cross over into far left far right uh uh, commitments and it can also we can also frequently see um you know the the more defiant uh uh rejection of the political as such right so how do you see this yeah that's a that's a really great question and a and a, a constant problem in trying to make sense of this stuff i mean a guy like henry rollins then there you know there are a couple of these other um kinds of people who are looking back at punk and trying to make it something that is straightforwardly salutary to politics, he'll say something like, well, punk is anything from, you know, the Velvet Underground to Occupy Wall Street. I think he said, he even says that in a little little video that he did. And, um, you know, he'll, he'll point at, you know, punk's relationship to, to a kind of American, um, social democratic leftism and say, oh yeah, that's like, that's like the actual political content of punk. That doesn't seem, I mean, there definitely were punks and there, you know, there was a participation in uh, a a, a sort of wing of politics by punks uh, of that nature. But, you know, punk, yeah, just as you say, right. Punk rock is just as amenable to, um, sort of right-wing politics uh, to a a, a sort of like thoroughgoing anarchism as it is any of this stuff. I mean, again, I think the the, the weirdness of America is important here that punk has always had a kind of uh, individualism that Mm -hmm. that I think harmonizes far more directly with a kind of libertarianism um, than anything else. I mean, you see this in a guy like Jello Biafra, who I think at least until somewhat recently was like a member of the Libertarian Party. Uh uh Um, And there's been a fair amount of participation in that kind of thing. And that's not strange in the American context that, right, this kind of assertion of, of the, you know, the the individual, this um, sort of enthusiasm for an almost Burkean (laughs) sort of Mm -hmm. understanding of, of, 
of, of civic society, of, of wanting these little scenes to flourish alongside of each other for a kind of disconnection from the mainstream. Um, mm-hmm. That has a, a, a long pedigree in, in American political thought. So here in the States, I think, um, you know, the, the, the punks, the punks might voice certain types of political ideas, but I think mm-hmm. uh, the, what their, what their actions actually reveal is something far more consistent with the sort of American project yeah. uh, of, of, of self-reliance and, and, and of, of a sort of like, you know, civic councilism or, or, yeah. or town, town, town hall republicanism or something yeah, like that, right, right. then, then they're willing to admit. Um, that being said, I mean, uh, to point again to this, to this wonderful book by Sam, Sam McFeeters, I think this is one of the most mm. honest accounts of, of punk rock and hardcore I've come across. He has this, he has a, a, this long footnote where he, he thinks about that moment where there was a, during the, during the Trump campaign. Mm-hmm. Where there was a woman who had this shirt that she had written on it, Trump can grab my with an arrow pointing down to her crotch. Yeah. And he has this moment of, of really disturbing recognition where mm-hmm. he looks at that and he says, that is, in fact, punk mm-hmm. 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 in the worst way. Yeah. Um, and, and he in his read is that, you know, the, the sort of 2016 GOP. Mm-hmm. with the endorsement of Donald Trump becomes a kind of party of punk. Yeah. yeah, 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 um, yeah. In this kind of like, yeah, this kind of sneering nihilistic, um, yeah. you know, just want to shock people um, own the libs, right. Because yeah, <laughs> becomes sort of the, yeah. the, 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 the primary motivation of, of, of the, of its, of its, its actions and its policies mm-hmm. um, that, yeah. When, when that, that is actually a kind of, uh, political manifestation of punk rock mm-hmm. and it forces him to think back to all right what were we doing when we were kids and what is salvageable from this project and what is not salvageable from it mm-hmm. um I th- his conclusion is basically that you know that the political content of punk was always incoherent yeah and that punk you 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 can't pretend to exhaust uh to have an to have an exhaustive sort of political philosophy or something like that that you get from punk because again, it's primarily negative. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. primarily kind of reactive. It's 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 not especially constructive. Um, mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's just it's it's just as punk to like endorse Donald Trump mm-hmm. as it is to endorse Bernie Sanders. I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't if, if what if what you're looking at is punk, it's not going to tell you exactly where to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because I, I mean, I certainly share the impression that um, that in the middle of the last decade, the the right in the United States captured uh, that spirit of effervescence, uh, even more specifically in uh, youth subculture that my mm-hmm. whole life I had associated with the left, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, that I see in kind of the um, absurdist and negative uh, reactions to establishment politics, going back to figures like Abby Hoffman, you know, levitating mm-hmm. the pe- Pentagon, things like that. But what's interesting in the case of punk as you as you mentioned it's also a reaction against the hippies right and a kind of disgust with the hippies and i'm so interested in kind of early 1970s uh 
uh, subcultural formations in a, in part because you know punk didn't exist yet um but you but you can find the expressions that start to start to start to kind of take the form that we'll later recognize as punk and i'm thinking of john waters pink flamingos from i guess like 1972 where mm-hmm. you know i can remember a few references to the dirty hippies and these scoffing disgusted um uh uh, uh allusions to these ridiculous hippies um so and then you see this with johnny rotten in uh, a few years later and uh uh so in a sense already in the 1970s you have um uh 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 uh, uh, uh something like an attempt to capture the effervescence of the 60s movement, uh, but also while rejecting the people who had, you know, summoned that effervescence up. So in a way, in a sense, it's like for the following decades, especially the Reagan era, um, uh, 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 whenever you have people going off to law school or becoming becoming investment bankers or um, uh, going over to the MAGA side of, uh, of, of the American political divide in the 2010s. It's like you've, you've got something that you can't say it's the natural development of punk, but you certainly can't say it's, um, you know, going 180 degrees in the other direction. It's, uh, yeah. it's one of the possible uh evolutionary paths right maybe that's a way to yeah yeah absolutely and 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 you capture this kind of like a this churn of reactions to reactions that yeah um that really seems to characterize counterculture from the 70s into the early 2000s right that yeah the punks are reacting against the hippies the hardcore kids are reacting against the punks there's a whole you know the post-hardcore world reacts against the hardcore world it's like there's always everything is post 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 Again, mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure where we are now. Um, yeah, and notice I haven't I haven't made a single allusion to anything post 1990. Basically, yeah, uh, I I start to get a lot less um, a lot less sure of myself. Especially, I got to be honest when I see these um, these strange that only emerged you know, well into my own adulthood, like, mm-hmm. you know, say hybrids with emo and stuff like that. Yeah. I just don't understand it. I have no feeling for it. I can't believe anyone takes it for the real thing. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, uh, I'm just too old. <laughs> well, it, it is funny to think about it. Again, a guy like Ian Mackay, who becomes one of the architects of hardcore and then becomes one of the architects of, uh, of, of emo, right? That mm. he started Minor Threat. And then he started this band Embrace that becomes a sort of, you know, that form a template for this kind of new kind of what they call emotional hardcore. And then he starts Fugazi, whatever Fugazi is. And each of those bands becomes like, they like inaugurate a different musical possibility that hadn't mm-hmm. existed before. Mm-hmm. Um, the hardcore thing, the emo thing, the post-hardcore thing or whatever you want to call Fugazi. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, we haven't even touched on the way that, like 
the emo thing connects to this this punk world right that it mm-hmm. it's another reaction to like the the both the the kind of um, nihilism of punk rock the kind of overweening seriousness of hardcore um it seems to make the claim that all of these things have missed out on the 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 sort of basic emotional content of being a human being and the kinds of longings that we feel both erotic and otherwise um and it really wants to foreground that um yeah it's i also feel you know as a person i i was i was really deeply submerged in this stuff well into the uh you know about 2010 and I still feel like I've kind of lost the um, I've lost the map on where counterculture has has moved today mm-hmm. and, and what, what kinds of things are still being generated. I think maybe something like, you know, there's this the, the new thing is kind of like SoundCloud rap and like hyper pop. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I don't think that these things are unrelated mm-hmm. um, genealogically or or um, in spirit to the kind of uh this 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 sort of trajectory of punk rock but mm-hmm. i don't have a have a sense for how they play out in the world i mm-hmm. they i only i'm only able to understand them as music and not as forms of life and um yeah as we've sort of been talking i i think it's 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 difficult to understand punk rock just as a uh genre of music it, mm-hmm. it you know it, it it's in order to like analyze it properly you've got to understand it as a form of life and mm-hmm. in as much as i don't have a read on what the form of life is um mm-hmm. for these sort of new uh sort of musical forms i have no idea what's what's happening with them yeah well it's curious i mean to talk about this in the 21st century because if if punk is a subcategory of rock, right? We frequently say punk rock. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I have the feeling that um, the last gasp of the era of the predominance of the reign of rock and roll was 2001, 2002. Um, yeah. So it's something that lasted from you know, 1955 to 2002, which means that for me growing up in the 70s and 80s, um, there was, it was easy to assume something we should not have assumed, namely that it will be around forever, that the guitar Mm -hmm. will always be the, 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 kind of centerpiece of popular music and so mm-hmm. on we we are, we're no longer living in the era of that in the 21st century which makes mm-hmm. me feel you know feel completely um completely antiquated um but i suppose it it's a it's an interesting question like could there still be punk after the death of rock right could it yeah could it go off into musical forms that are totally disconnected from rock and roll to you know um uh 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 a garage band uh on your macintosh that you then put on soundcloud things like that uh circumventing the 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 instruments and so on or is the connection something better i don't know that's not really a question for you it's just something yeah i wonder well uh, one thought that i'll have i mean i always uh, my understanding of punk always had to do right that the main kind of the, the the principal social actor in the world of punk was the band mm-hmm. and like the principal kind of social event was the show. Yeah. And so everybody was forming bands, which means that there were a plurality of different kinds of people doing different 
performing a different role in this little social unit. And they were always going around and playing shows with other bands. Um, it was this highly social, um, uh, highly pluralistic kind of thing. I mean, there are all these kind of different people sort of bumping into each other. There's a lot of collaboration. There was a lot of um, improvisation. Um, and, and what happens when the band stops being the principal unit right, and it right. starts to become the individual, right? If it's a person just sitting in their room on garage band, making weird pop music, um, that seems like a substantial change. And then also when, uh, the, when, when you don't have shows anymore, when there stops being these public performances and these public gatherings for the sake of, um, performing this thing with each other, uh, what happened, right? When it becomes wholly virtual, when you're just kind of throwing albums on SoundCloud or right. when you have different stranger kinds of virtual gatherings, I'm not even sure what those would be or if they even happen, but it seems possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, that might be a completion of the punk project, right? And as much right. as punk was always kind of, it always had in it this kind of individualism, this exp- this, this individual expressiveness Mm-hmm. Um, sort of stood at the bottom of it. It might have been that the that the the band and the show the whole time was a kind of contradiction and this sort of solipsistic, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, pop music, um, putting out solo records on Bandcamp um, is actually a, a far more sort of like punk thing than the, than the band ever could be, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah, it's. It, I think I think you're right that the 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 evolution of away away from sort of the guitar rock, away from um, the standard set of of instruments that we associate with rock and roll music, uh, that has a a, a a huge consequence on mm-hmm. whatever thing is gonna is gonna come in the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So. Um, kind of trying to move towards the end now. Uh, m- mm-hmm. Maybe some some personal or uh, autobiographical insights from you would, would be appreciated. Uh, we've talked a bit about the problem of of aging gracefully, um, mm-hmm. and it makes me wonder. Like uh, you describe yourself as someone who was in a scene. Right. Yeah. Um, does this continue to affect um, your uh, your sense of your own identity of who you are in the world? Does it shape you in any way as a thinker, or is it just um, uh, is it just an autobiographical detail? I mean, it's hard to believe that you could have, say. Uh, uh, a mod philosopher or a yeah. teddy, a teddy boy philosopher. Like what would that <laughs> the be? I mean, philosophers. Yeah. yeah. What would that be? There's, there's nothing to, nothing to say, but could you be a punk philosopher? I mean, that's, that's maybe um, some, or is it just something, a phase you move through before, um, uh, before you move on to, uh, uh, other we, before you put away childish things as the bible <laughs> says <laughs> you know i had this moment of recognition when i was reading um michael azarad's book our band could be your life he mm. he details the the origins of the minutemen oh yeah um, mm-hmm. that the the wonderful wonderful i'm i'm not you, you can call them a punk band i guess but they were always up to something different mm. um 
but the way he describes them is that they were like these three kids, sort of working class kids in San Diego. And they really loved rock and roll music. I think one of them had gotten like a kiss record and they sort of, they, they were always looking at these albums that they loved looking at the people on these records and they would just say to themselves like, this will never be us. Mm-hmm. You know, we can never do this kind of thing. And one of them happened to have like a guitar or something. And, you know, the other, the other two happened to sort of found a way to like get some instruments and they, instead of trying, you know, in, instead of like aiming for um, the kind of institutional recognition of like being signed on a, on a, one of these labels that would that sort of make you, um, that, that, that sort of christen you as like a genuine rock and roll band. Their move was just to, was just to say, you know what, we're just going to make something. Mm. <laughs> we're going to make something that hadn't existed before. Mm. Um, and then they kind of fell in, in in league with Black Flag, and they found a they found that they actually weren't alone in doing this kind of gesture. And there were all these other people out there already doing it, and they sort of, you know, started to build this world together. Um, and that reminds me so much of what it felt like when I was a kid and I fell into punk rock. Was that mm-hmm. um, I felt like you know as a, as a working class kid in America in the nineties and the early two thousands, I would sort of look out on this landscape and it just really felt like there was nothing for me mm-hmm. and nothing for me or my friends that mm-hmm. the world was constructed for, uh, people with degrees in law and, mm-hmm. um, people who would go to fancy colleges. And I didn't even really know what those were for or, or what any of all that stuff meant. It was for beautiful people on television. <laughs> and uh, instead of striving for those things, my friends and I just decided that we were going to try to make a world that we could live in. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it turned out that there were all of these other people around who were, who were, who were engaged in a similar kind of project. So mm-hmm. I, I still feel very inspired by that kind of DIY spirit. And I think that uh, it, you know, that to, to, to a large extent, that model of uh, punk rock um, entrepreneurial initiative of, of this kind of, you know, uh, being inspired by something that, you know, you'll never get, but sort of mm-hmm. picking it up and making a vernacular version of it on your own. Yeah. Like, that's how I that's how I think about the work of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um it's, you know, the, the academic landscape is in a terrible condition. It's, it's seemingly getting worse every day. Um, philosophy departments are, are, are not doing especially great. Um, if you, had to, you know, if you care about something like philosophy, you're going to be really disappointed by philosophy departments. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like more and more that the institutions that, that, you know, we, we've assumed for a long time are the, are the, the, are the, the locuses of this kind of activity that we might call philosophy are no longer serving their purpose in that same mm-hmm. way. And even if they were, they're not places where most of us are going to wind up. Right. right? I'm in a curious position of having found myself back in the Academy again, after having mm-hmm. felt very um, uh, outside of it for a long time. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm going to have to think about what this means for me personally, as I, you know, enter into becoming a, a, a PhD student in philosophy at a, mm. at a real university, which is very strange. But I do think that there's a lot of room for uh, a kind of, the, for, for the building of an intellectual world and a, a common intellectual life with people who are readers and thinkers and writers that looks a lot more like 
the Minutemen and Fugazi in the 1980s mm-hmm. and looks a lot less like, uh, you know, Kiss or, you know, <laughs> Twisted Sister or, or even the Sex Pistols in the 1970s, right? Sure. That, that, you know, this, this, this kind of love for and a kind of playful but serious attitude towards, uh, you know, creating something for yeah. us, um, I think is a, still a really vital model for how to how to live a life and and, mm-hmm. and and how to do things so yeah i i i think that there's room for a kind of if not punk rock philosophy certainly a kind of diy philosophy yeah, 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 yeah. it turns out that that might be more american <laughs> in, yeah. in the long run than, yeah, than, than, yeah. Than, than we'd expect yeah yeah i mean certainly that's um you know the thesis of john cag's book about american philosophy and something that i've certainly confirmed reading reading Whitman, reading the the St. Louis Hegelians, reading Emerson and Thoreau is that, um, is that uh, uh, at least before we got this massive infusion of Central European rigorous brain power in the mid 20th century, American philosophy was just totally I don't want to say screwball, but um, mm-hmm. uh, just unhinged out there doing whatever, whatever it wanted um, mm-hmm. uh, out on the frontier in a very, in a very unrigorous and exciting and DIY way. Right. <laughs> um, and um, I love what you say about like trying to compare, you know, being like that, being an American thinker like that. Uh, to um, what goes on in philosophy departments might be very much like, uh, you know, there might be uh, useful analogies from musical subculture, right? Where where the the department is eighties hair metal, and you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to lead an intellectual life that um, that that doesn't want to get too close to that. So listen, I think we have to draw to a close. I I think, um, I mean, I think you and I agree uh, on, um, on all of the important points. It's, uh, um, it, I'm not sure we've exactly defined the term in question, but we've circled around it uh, and seen, you know, I think what is, what is transhistorical and universal on the one hand and what is, um, peculiar to, 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 to the context on the other. Um, you know, I recently, I was talking to my 19 year old nephew who is in ways I, I have trouble specifying extremely cool, like as an objective term, like mm-hmm. he, that's his place in the world, the place of a cool mm-hmm. person. Uh, and, you know, I, I started annoying him with, with questions. And one of the questions that came up was, were there cool people in ancient Greece? <laughs> right? Um, and he was like, I don't know, but, you know, the, 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 um, the, this question fascinates me. Like, can you, can you find something uh, continuous in all times and places that corresponds to that culturally very specific um, uh, uh, label. Um, and, you know, it seems like you have to suppose that there was something just because it's such an obvious social fact that 
this person is cool today, right? And that's yeah. that's like landing in a slot that um that that that's real, right? Um, and given that it's real, it has to have had instances, expressions in all times and places. Now, cool is a, a different genealogy, um, but it's very similar, I think, to the question, um, were there punks in ancient Greece? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, my answer would be, well, sort of, yes and no. But what, what do you what do you think? Uh, the, the, you know, Diogenes uh, mm-hmm. has a glimmer of familiarity, um, the kind of, you know, leaning into objection and uh, this kind of nihilistic attitude towards the political. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that I agree with you that there are certainly glimmers of recognition and family resemblances mm-hmm. and things like that that we can point at and, th- and that those things aren't arbitrary. And they are often very uh, illuminating of both our present condition and also the past in light of the present and, and, and likewise. Um, but yeah, it seems to me that if, right, if, if we accept that Diogenes might be one of the earliest examples of, of a punk, then Socrates might be a hardcore kid. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, obviously, we say these things somewhat in jest, but also, you know, out of an earnest attempt to uh, to to plot to plot this in something larger. So, are you going to yeah. be doing any um, any writing, um, uh, uh, intellectual exploration uh, in the coming years in this domain? Or is this just part of the background of who you are, whereas you want to be writing on other things? I've, I, I have this essay in the back of my head that I've tried to work out a couple of times on this notion of sort of looking at early kind of hardcore music as a model for, you know, what philosophy and what intellectualism could look like Um in, in the in, in the age of the sort of the disintegration of humanities departments mm-hmm. i haven't quite worked that entirely but it is something that i that i would like to work out um and i also i mean i i just want to i do want to want to spend some time thinking about and writing about the 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 differences the, the differences and similarities between things like punk scenes and um academic departments and the mm-hmm. kind of academic life uh mm. there's a lot to be said for different departments and different institutions compromising their own scene Mm -hmm. in a certain type of way. Like things happen at university of Chicago in a particular kind of way, in a particular kind of vernacular Mm -hmm. things happen at university of North Carolina in a different kind of way, in a different kind of vernacular. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. There is uh, right. The, I don't know the, the, the one thing that the Academy doesn't have that, that was super important for punk rock that we didn't even have really a chance to talk about is the idea of selling out. Mm-hmm. Um, right yeah like uh if you if you make it in the academy and you sell a really good monograph and you you know get hired on at harvard you know it's very unlikely that anybody's going to criticize you for selling out mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. whereas in, in the punk world that was that, that was a big thing so right they're not they're not one-to-one uh comparisons but i do think again it's a kind of fruitful way of of 
a fruitful yeah. comparison for thinking about what kinds of things are happening in different domains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, I uh, the the question of selling out is really important. It seems to because it seems to be a standard, an expectation, a norm that's held up across all the various inflections of punk, whatever mm-hmm. you know the political views, whether it's serious or uh, or ironic. Um, uh, selling out is something you're not supposed to do, but that's also uh, something that's both very foreign today in general in the internet mediated yeah. uh, youth culture. I don't yeah. think I don't think there's any great taboo against selling out, and something that's also um, uh, typical not just of punk, but let's say of let's say Gen X ideas of authenticity in general. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, wow. Well, yeah, I feel like I've learned a lot. I feel like we're somewhere closer to an understanding and whatever the case may be, it's, uh, it's, it's been really great to talk to you. Absolutely. Likewise. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if we didn't come up with a definition of punk, uh, well, we're in good company because nobody else yeah, seems right. to have done it either. So. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we'll be reading more from you in the point soon. Um, and, uh, uh, I'm looking forward to that. And again, uh, I'm Justin E.H. Smith, and I've been talking to Joseph Keegan, uh, writer and editor extraordinaire at The Point Magazine, among other places. And we have been talking about uh, punk and what it is. So thanks very much for talking to me, Joseph. Thank you so much, Justin. This was, this was such a great time. Yeah, let's do it again soon. Bye-bye. That'd be great. Bye. Have a good day.